the word, but before we do, we come to the Lord with a prayer seeking his help as we look at his word today. Heavenly Father, mercies to, you, to us are what we seek uh, as we look at your word so that we in turn might exalt you in the times that we spend together with one another in the presence of, uh, in, in heavenly places where Christ dwells. And as we go about what it is you've called us to be and do every day in light of your grace. So may your spirit be at work in us. May, as we just sang, recognize the firm foundation on which we stand, the faithfulness of our God, the one whose word can be trusted and ought to be. May you accept our prayers for the sake of Jesus. Amen. You might have noticed while we sang that song that every one of those verses spoke to us about the faithfulness of God, didn't they? And that that commands our praise. We have reason to trust what God tells us. It's firm. It's founded. And we hear about that in this passage that we're going to be looking at as we start a, a small series of sermons on how, as John the, the Apostle uh, relates to us, how the Father sent his Son, and the importance of believing in that. Uh, the, the Gospel writer himself says at the end of the Gospel that these things that he's written are written so that we might believe in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing on him, we might have life in his name. We believe the truth about Jesus then. So we're looking at John chapter 5 today, and we're going to be looking at verses 31 to 47. I, I look here at the way the passage is laid out in paragraph form. We can start with verse 30, that'd be all right, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. John chapter 5, verses 30 to 47. Here's what God's word says. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone hear witness about, bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. 
yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? Thank God for his word today. May it indeed be a blessing to you, to us. If we walk the path God has called us to walk. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> sometimes thoughts may cross our minds about whether the Christian faith is true or not. After all, there are so many religions, and there have been so many religions over time. <clears throat> why should the religion of Christianity, why should the Christian faith stand out? Why should we think of this as being special? Especially if we live in a, a day and age where people want to be very careful about in one, it's kind of a strange thing, really, right? Because in some ways, people love to just stand out in the crowd, right? But then on the other hand, there's this mentality that says, well, you know what? You go your way, I'll go my way. We, we all go our different ways, and it's all going to be good in the end. And yet, to talk about the Christian religion as standing out might raise some doubts for us. Because after all, the Bible's old, some would say. It was written by people that were primitive. They don't have the kind of expertise and technology and uh, philosophical background that we do as modern people. Others like to think that faith in itself, in anything, is just the stuff of fairy tales. Nothing factual about it. Built on sentimentality. Exercises in wishes, where we just leap into the abyss of faith, but with nothing on which to stand, nothing on which to fall. It's just a crutch that we use faith and religion to get through life, to, to make us feel better. Like one is called it the opium of the masses. It's like that's what the mob does. Right? That's what the uninformed does. That's what the unenlightened do. They, they use religion. They use God. They use this, this supposed higher being uh, to see them through life, and they're just whistling in the dark. More simply, what raises doubts for a lot of people, and probably true, that, that, that can can happen to you or happen to me is when we have setbacks in life, right? Or disappointments, surprises, not of a good variety. 
And in the midst of those things and the pains that come along with them, then, then if we've been encountering Christianity and if we have been immersed in Christianity and if we have believed in Christ, those are times where, where our, our faith is challenged personally because we wonder, you know, can I really trust Christ? Is he really the real deal? Or, or should I just give up on that and just kind of follow this wisdom of the world that says, you know, find your firm footing somewhere else. But as the Christian church has testified through the ages, the only comfort in life and in death is when we belong to Christ. We, we ask a question in the Heidelberg Catechism, what good does it do for us to believe all these things when it comes to the Christian faith and believing in God through Jesus? And we could answer that question with another question. So, well, what good would it do you not to believe in him or give up on him or ignore him? Because the Christian faith, it's not about what we wish is true. The Christian faith is about what is true. It's based on sound testimony. And certainly Jesus' opponents mentioned in our passage today thought that the claims of Christ were without foundation. They, they were constantly saying these things. They were saying that to the apostles later if you read in Acts. On what authority are you doing these things? He had no right to claim what he claimed about himself. He was a liar. See, and that's that's always that's really how it is in, in life, isn't it? You either think Jesus is a liar, or you think he's telling the truth and believe it. And everybody falls in one of those camps. Either he's a liar or he's the truth. He claimed to be able to dictate what should be done on the Sabbath, and then do it as the one who established the Sabbath as God. He claimed to be God by calling God his own father, and they picked up stones to stone him. He claimed not to be some ordinary man as the son of Joseph, as they were asking this question. Isn't he just the son of Joseph, the carpenter, and aren't his siblings all around us? No, he claimed to be sent to this world by his father in heaven. Especially as, as the Son of God to do what nobody else could do, to be what nobody else could be. And he would accomplish the Father's will, and he would obey the Father's will, and he would display the, the Father's sovereignty and mercy and justice and righteousness in the world. And he would do that in the work that he would do as that special person that he is, as God's Son, a work that only the divine Son of God could do. But was he really sent by the Father? Because that's what we celebrate, that's what we spend all this time doing, practicing programs and celebrating the coming of, of Jesus Christ into this world. We were all born into the world at some point, and so was Jesus. But we don't celebrate everybody else's birth in the magnificence and in the magnitude that we do of Jesus. And there's reason for that. Because the importance of his birth would be minimized. We wouldn't be taking the time to celebrate it like we do 
it would be minimized tremendously if he were not in that in that birth already a special person. A divine one who comes in the flesh, sent by the Father to take away the sin of the world. Like only he could. Like we needed him to do. Believing that he was that person and holding on to that faith through thick and thin is not a leap of faith. You're not taking a risk in doing that. It's not like you can sit there and say, well, you know, like if you're sitting there looking at a gap between uh, one cliff and another cliff and you're looking at that and you're thinking to yourself, now, do you think I could leap over that and get to the other side? Well, I might not make it. I may make it. Um, if, I, if I, I'm taking a risk when I'm trying to make that leap. You're not taking a risk when you're believing in Christ. You're not making a leap of faith. That's just something the world puts out there for us. The truth, the Christian faith, ought, ought to be believed. Because it's confirmed truth. It's truth that's confirmed by testimony that is indisputable. Now people, people will dispute the testimony but, but that's not because the testimony has ever been proven to be invalid. That dispute comes because of hardened hearts and darkened minds and left to themselves, they'll never believe. No matter how much truth is thrown their way. But, but you can be certain. You can be certain. That your faith in the Lord is, is firm footing, worth keeping. Whenever you look at passages like this one, because part of the reason why John wrote this was so that when you saw these things, when you heard these things, when you read these things, that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believing in him you might have life in his name. That's why he wrote it. And so you can look at a passage like this one if you're reading through John to, to establish your faith in the Lord Jesus, to see its firmness because it's a passage that points out to the world that the Christian's faith is not for people who are out of touch with reality because that's what the world wants to think you are if you're a believer. You're in touch with reality. Because what you're doing is you're embracing the truth. You're embracing the true testimony that the Father has sent his Son to bring salvation to this world, to bring salvation to you. And everything that goes with it. So we look at that. The human testimony, the divine testimony. The human testimony is from John the Baptist. Jesus says, I've had this testimony given to John. Now, now, this wasn't the primary testimony that Jesus depends on to, to confirm his claims about who he is and what he does. It's not because it's not a true testimony. There's a greater testimony. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's a true testimony. But it makes sense that Jesus, you see, when he says that I've got a greater testimony than, than that of John, and that uh, 
as I'm hearing, talking to you about this testimony, it says in verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man. It makes sense that Jesus isn't dependent on who he is to confirm his claims on humanity because his claims are divinity. His claims are that he has authority over the Sabbath. His claims are that he's divine. His, he's working in the name of his divine Father. And so if he, his claims are, th are that he is divine, then he's not going to be dependent on the testimony of man primarily to confirm that claim. Because that would mean that God is dependent on the judgment and the testimony of man to validate it. Well, that would put man over, over Christ that way. That's not what's happening here. However, John is used by God the Father to testify about the Son. And it's described here as a lamp of truth. He is a burning lamp of truth. And so his testimony is harmonizing with the truth. John is mentioned not <clears throat> for Jesus' sake so much, as he is for the sake of people who hear John the Baptist. And they see his truth-bearing lamp, and they are saved from their sin by that message. Jesus says that for a little while, people rejoiced in the lamp that shone through John. He says, for a little while. And they rejoiced for a little while because John was now in prison, but they also rejoiced a little while because the lamp was telling people to prepare for the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. Now back in Psalm 132, we didn't sing from Psalm 132 today, but there's a psalm there that speaks about God's promises, kind of like Psalm 89, that he made to the house of David to put a lasting heir on his throne. And we read in that psalm that when that would be fulfilled, Zion's priest would be clothed with salvation and her saints would shout for joy. There in Zion, says at the tail end of Psalm 132, I will make a horn to sprout from for David. I've prepared a lamp for my anointed, right, for my Christ. And his enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. John's that lamp. That was promised. As preparation for the Christ. And in that lamp, the people did rejoice. And many would continue to rejoice, no doubt. Those who would see in this lamp the preparation of Jesus coming. But others, others received the joy, but for a little while. The opponents of Jesus in our passage are among those who would not receive that testimony with lasting joy. Because, you see, they had a different Messiah in mind about what he'd do, what he would be. David's heir would bring about, you see, political victory. Freedom. Not spiritual freedom. Because there was no sense of a need for that. 
There was joy in her heart at first because they thought political freedom was at hand and that the glories of David's time would return. And Christ then would give them what they wanted because that's, what, that's the kind of Christ a lot of people want, isn't it? A Christ that will give them what they want. Though he came for what they needed. You know, I had a chance to visit with some of the Rock Valley Christian school children fifth or eighth grade uh, for chapel on Friday. And we talked a little bit about the difference, right, between what we want and what we need. What we want for Christmas, what we need for Christmas. There's, there can be a big difference there. It certainly was here. Between what people wanted from their Christ and what they needed from their Christ. People still do that. They seek a Jesus for what they want, not what they need. And, and, and a Jesus who is, is not any different than they are. A mere man and certainly not God. A one who's after their image instead of one who is going to recreate them after his. And the problem for these people was not that they weren't religious, right? Or that they didn't acknowledge the divine. Plenty of people acknowledge God today. Even atheists have gods. They have themselves. They like to say they have no God, but they're their own God. And people will talk about God, but, but not about Jesus as God and, and as the Son of God sent by his Father to accomplish what only he could do. And to testify with his works and his word what kind of God has sent him into the world? Who, a God who loves the world. A God who saves the world. A God who is good and true and, and he's not going to let evil get the upper hand even though we think it does. It's a God who keeps his promises. He's faithful. Like we just sang. That just moves us to praise. <laughs> because we know we can count on him. Those who trust in him, they will not be put to shame as they wait on him. That's the testimony of John. He's a lamp of salvation and truth, a lamp whose testimony brings lasting joy to those who believe in the Christ who was promised by God and who came as promised so sin would be taken away and God's Son would reign forever over sin, death, Satan, everything, and ourselves. Plenty of hurt in the world. Plenty of disappointment. Plenty of plans that don't pan out for people. But there's something that outlasts that. There's something that's better than that. There's something that allows us to say there's a lasting joy for me and you. And anybody else when we trust the truth that John testified. The Father has sent his Son to save and to reign over everything, which is what he promised. So you can trust his word. And when we see that lamp burning through the eyes of faith, that means salvation from sin is ours. We can trust his word. 
We can count on that truth. We, we can also be confident no matter, that no matter what we face. Giving up on Christ is not the answer. But holding on to him in faith is. Because through everything, Christ is reigning over everything. As the resurrected son of David, promised of God, given of God, and testified in truth by John. Lasting joy for us is found only in this truthful testimony, and you can't find that anywhere else. But as true as that message is, it's only true first because of a greater truth in which Jesus speaks. There's a greater testimony than John, which the Father provides through the Son and of the Son. And that's the divine testimony. There's a human testimony and there's a, a divine testimony. Jesus says that if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. And what Jesus is saying is that the witness that he is bearing is not of himself alone. But that the Father is also testifying through him. After all, Jesus says that he does nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Others think that, that, that what, he's, what is being said here is that you know, none of his opponents would believe in him even though they should because the only testimony that he has is the testimony that he gives of himself. The issue one way or another would seem to be though that people will not trust in Jesus because he has no one or nothing to back up his word and that just isn't true. The problem of unbelief is not that Jesus has, a, has no backup testimony. That's not the problem that unbelief has, really. Because there's plenty of backup testimony. The problem with unbelief is simply unbelief. Because there's the divine testimony that's backing him. And the first of these that is mentioned is the works that he does, he says. They're works that were given to him to do by the Father. And nobody could deny that they were done. They weren't done in a corner. They were done publicly. They're works that he does in the Father's name. He doesn't do them without authorization. He does them in the name of the Father. And so when you see them done, Jesus is arguing, you see as a testimony that the Father is at work in me. And that the Father has sent me. And if you want to know whether the Son has been sent by the Father or that Jesus is the divine Son of God or not, then look at the works that he does. Again, John says, I could write about a whole bunch more works that Jesus did. But this is enough. 21 chapters is enough. These are written so that you may know, that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you have life in his name because I've shown you a bunch of works. Nicodemus said, nobody could do these works unless God were with him. Nobody could do them unless God had sent him to do them. And so whether it's healing or raising people from the dead or accomplishing the work of salvation, how could he do them were he not sent from the Father as the Son of God? But that's not the only testimony. There is the testimony of the Father himself. There's no doubt that part of that testimony is Scripture. 
The question in this passage is whether Jesus is talking more than just scripture here. When Jesus is saying that his voice you have never heard, some think it speaks to the time when, when the Father spoke of his pleasure to the Son, in the Son, when the Son was baptized. Others say that when it speaks of the Father's word not being heard, it's because Jesus isn't heard. And, and that when the Father is not seen, it's because people don't see the Father in the Son. He who sees me has seen the Father. Such would make for even more testimony. But there's certainly no doubt that part of the testimony of which Jesus speaks here is the testimony of the Scriptures. And Jesus takes these people who are against him to task because even though they have the Bible, they have the Scriptures, they misread them. Because they fail to see Christ in them. Right? That, that, that's what we have to do. You know, as a pastor, too, when I read the Old Testament, I have to see Christ in them, don't I? That's what we have to see. We have to see Christ in them. That's especially the testimony that's greater than John. Because they're the words of God himself. Jesus' opponents think that they have eternal life in keeping the law of Moses. And in the process, they glory in themselves because they glory in what they do. Jesus says when it comes to false messiahs that come, they'll accept their coming because they fit into their self-glorifying values. They don't really love God. They love themselves and they glory in themselves. They glory in people who glorify them and flatter them and, and scratch their itch. They don't want a Messiah that has come to take away their sin. They want a Messiah that will give them what they want. And that will make them feel good about themselves. And that will give them worldly glory. I mean, even today, there's places like that. I don't have to, I don't have to see that in dude, but I tell you what, when I, when I was in Chicago, I see that all over the place. Huge edifices. Huge buildings where there was no gospel. And what drew all those people into those huge buildings was the promise that God would give them what they wanted. And it usually had to do with this. It had to do with money. It had to do with financial glory. And that was a huge incentive to go to church. But if we really, if the, these people really loved God and if they believed in Moses, really, and if they were really interested in the glory of God, they would, have, they would accept the Son whom God has sent, you see. They would believe the words of Moses and they would take joy in a Messiah that turned attention away from themselves and what they wanted to what they needed and the only one who could provide that, the one whom the Father has sent, and glory in Him. Because life, life's not about getting what we want. Life's about glorying in God by believing in the Son whom the Father sent. That's why we spend all this time rejoicing 
in the birth of Jesus. If it was an ordinary birth, who cares? I mean, you care to an extent, but, but not on this level. Now we show our love for God by accepting His Son, whom He sent. Life's not about gaining things that please us, but about pleasing the God who sent His Son for our salvation. And that's the truth. Testified by the Word of God Himself. You can look it up. The reason then you see that people don't believe the truth of Jesus is not because the, it's not because the evidence isn't there. It's not because Christians are a bunch of adults who, who just leave their brains at the door. The problem is with the heart that wants its own glory and doesn't want the glory of God who sends his son. But if you and I are looking for certainty for life, if we're looking for certainty for our faith, if we're looking for something that we can count on for life and for eternity and find joy in that, it's found in the testimony of the divine Son of God sent by the Father who takes away the sin of the world and lives and reigns forever. There's rock-solid security when we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord that way even when it seems sometimes that life disappoints us. Confessing Christ is worthy of lasting joy. It'll outlast those disappointments. It will outlast those hurts. It will outlast those surprises. It's a salvation that we can always count on. And it's a lordship that's always worthy of our following. In fact, we must. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a fairy tale. It isn't a lie. The Father has sent His Son to live, to save, to die, to rise, to reign, to come again and make everything new. And you and I have every reason to dedicate our life to those truths. And it's my prayer that we will. We're not believing fairy tales. We're believing the testimony. Because Jesus wasn't just born. He was sent by his Father as the divine Son of God to save and to reign. And that's good news when we believe it. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, guide us in our days. May we see that the gospel is no fairy tale. It's no lie. It's no pipe dream. We're on firm foundation when we are standing on the excellent testimony that you have provided about your son, who wasn't just born, but was sent by you. We ask that you'd accept our prayers for Jesus.